Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Um, this week, we are going to be talking about Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, it said that uh, there are more biographies on his life than there are of any other uh, character or subject in history. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but, but people say it. So, you know, it means something, I guess. For most of us, we're introduced to Martin Luther through a Western Civ class in college or in high school. Uh, we hear about the 95 Thesis. Um, we know that he had a major impact on Europe and uh, the, you know, the changes that were taking place in Europe. But we don't know the details of his life or the impact that he's had uh, on the church and uh, the transformation of the church and the breaking free from the bondage of the Roman Catholic Church. And so he's a huge figure. He, he looms large over modern history and, uh, and sets really uh, freedom to worship into motion. And so we're really excited to talk about him today. And of course, to do that, to have that conversation, I have to have Pastor Greg Axe. And uh, for those of you who know him or have taken his classes, he is the professor of church history here at LFBI but he is also pastor of Crest Bible Church here in the Kansas City Metro. And so with that, welcome. Good Greg to be Axe. here as always. Um, loving the conversation about the Reformation. Yes. Yeah. As we said last time, it's much more uplifting. Gives you a breath of fresh air, kind yeah. of opens the door a little bit, kind of opens the window, gives yeah. you a little bit of light coming in. That's right. The positive aspects of what God's doing in history as, oppo as opposed to all the negative things. And it's, and it's motivating because yeah. we're seeing figures clearly on display that look a lot like what we see in the book of Acts and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the apostles laying down their life for the cause and mm -hmm. declaring the truth. And, and that's what these men are doing. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, it is very, very motivating and challenging, uh, in our own faith. So it's cool. Being hauled before the council in the early book of Acts and yeah. being say, we command you not to preach or teach in this man's name anymore. Mm -hmm. And Peter to say, well, you judge whatever you want, but we're going to tell you, yeah. we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. And you can beat us if you want. And we will count ourselves, we will rejoice and count ourselves worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you can't shut us up. Nope. And they didn't. And they didn't. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, because they didn't yeah, shut him up. exactly. Exactly right. So Martin Luther, born in 1483 in Eisleben, Germany. Okay. Um, tell us about his childhood. Begin to give us an idea of who he was, because the backstory on Martin Luther is critical to yes. uh, understanding the impact and the power of his salvation and the transformation of his life. So tell us about his childhood and what that was like. Well, his uh, father was a coal miner. Mm -hmm. um, and Tough guy. Tough guy, yeah. At that time, you had the feudal system uh, of basic feudal system of life where you had the one-tenth of one percent of the elites at the top. You had about another two percent of the population that was the, the middle ground mm -hmm. that were the serfs or the, excuse me, the vassals or the knights or the, um, uh, they were the middle class, but it was very, very yeah, small. Yeah. And about 98% of the population was serfs and peasants. Yeah. And Martin Luther's family was in that category. Uh, there was very little, if any, movement back and forth in those classes. Uh, and it had been like that for, for generations. Mm -hmm. People growing up just, this is 
my lot in life. This is all I'll ever get. No chance for advancement whatsoever um, or very little chance. But Martin's parents wanted him to have that opportunity and he wanted it himself as well. So he, ultimately he grows up and, and uh, begins to, he goes to school to study law so that he can try to get break free from this feudal um, peasant surf life and at least try to get into that next yeah, level his, up. Yeah, his dad devoted his entire life to oh, making yeah. sure that, that Martin would have this opportunity. I mean, yes. it's that whole, you know, we call it the American dream thing. Yes. But, but um, yeah, it was a very difficult thing. Lots of saving of resources and finances and mm -hmm. making huge sacrifices as a family. They really loved their son, yes. but they were also really tough on him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they described, you know, Martin Luther describes his father as, as being a very, very strict mm -hmm. disciplinarian. Right. Um, and it, in some ways painted his picture of who God was. Right. Like, you know, we often talk about as pastors that a lot of times our view of God the Father is often tainted by our relationships with our fathers on earth. This exactly. is absolutely true in, in Martin Luther's case. Yeah. And so, uh, again, the God of the Catholic Church is a bully. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, you will toe the line and give allegiance, and we're not going to tell you why. Um, you do what we tell you to do or else. And it's never good enough. Right. <laughs> you're always right. you're always chasing you after never... affirmation. You're always chasing after. Yes. And, uh, and when you get out of line, the discipline's strict. Here it comes. Yeah. Very, and, very harsh and very strict. And that's the way his relationship with his dad kind of was, that right. the two things reflected each other. Now, there's, an, there, there's a small advantage in that, in that, you know, it's better than just being thrown to the wolves and let you just do whatever you want, which is a lot of our society today. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you want, kids. Um, but at the same time, it was, it was pretty strict, pretty harsh. So he's off getting an education. His, mm -hmm. his dad and his mom have made these sacrifices. And, and so he, he, you know, he's a determined young man. He's learned yes. that grit and that, that determination from his dad. So he's out there making the best of it. Right. But he's having, he's having some troubles. You know, he's got a lot of questions about who God is. Mm -hmm. um, and he's got all these questions about what it, what it means to know God, what it means to, to follow him. Uh, he always has this feeling of insufficiency. And he gets stuck in this this lightning storm that that is kind of a, a catalyst for new thought. So maybe you can. It's kind of like an uh, almost a near death experience mm -hmm. that he has uh, in, in in that event where it was very critical. He almost lost his life as a result of it. And in the recovery from that, he decides he's going to go into a monastery mm -hmm. to try to get with God. Because um, again, everybody's been told now you got to understand the concept. Fourteen eighty three, we're we're a thousand years or more into the abusive, domineering uh, control of the Catholic Church over the entire known world at that time, and this is all they've ever known for a thousand years. And in mm -hmm. case you haven't figured it out, a thousand years is a long time. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about many, many generations. If a generation is fifty, that's twenty generations of people who have been told that this is the only way that anybody could ever have any hope whatsoever of going to heaven is to be connected to this institution called the Catholic mm -hmm. Church. Inquisitions are already yeah. uh, taking place during this particular time. And so he has this, he goes into this Augustine monastery um, to try to get with God and try to get into the Catholic Church, try to do the penance for his own sins, we all understand this. We all we all know we're going to do things wrong from time mm -hmm. to time. 
And Martin Luther's grown up in an environment where when he does something wrong, it's brought to his attention very rapidly and very quickly and very harshly. Mm -hmm. You have to pay for your own sins um, by either paying the church money or um, all the various different things that you have to do to try to uh, find favor with God by abusing yourself. Yeah. Now this is this is this is bizarre. I don't think I think people who aren't familiar with the history on this, this Mm -hmm. is kind of a strange thing. So we've got Martin Luther almost gets struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. It's like, they say it's like five feet away. Mm. He was like hiding under a tree during a storm. He freaks out. Lord, I'll do anything. You know, a lot of us have said things like this. I'll do anything you want me to do. I just don't kill me. I just want to follow you. Show me how to do it. So in in his best thinking, he goes to this Augustinian monastery, commits himself to it. Uh But again, the guilt is is heavy, 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 heavy guilt. So he flogs himself Mm -hmm. and he does these pilgrimages where he just, these are torturous things. Can you explain this kind of penance, that penance, this, this self, you know, abuse form of penance in the Catholic church and what this was about? Well, it's a concept that's woven, not just in the Catholic church, but it's in Islam and it's in a lot of different religions where, um, we sin, we do something wrong, somebody has to pay for that. Well, I'm going to pay for it myself. If mm-hmm. I abuse myself enough, then maybe God will overlook this bad thing I did because I did something good on the other side of it, or I um, am I, trying to beat myself under to submission off. to pay this off. Discipline, yes. you know. um, it, The harsh discipline. Mm-hmm. So if I do something wrong, if I counter that by the harshness of the discipline and the self-abuse and the penance of that, then I can expunge this particular bad thing I did by this other bad thing I did. Mm-hmm. It, two wrongs making the right. And right. again, it's that type of mindset that people have been um, brought up under even to this day. I mean, there's still people in the world today who do that kind of thing. And it's a lot more dominant than we think that it is. Mm-hmm of people trying to pay for their own sins. Yeah. Uh, And Martin did that as well. I mean, he would crawl up the um, concrete stairs of the cathedral on his knees Mm -hmm. until they bled looking for um, penance. God, if I I inflict suffering upon myself, would you overlook these sins? Yeah. Uh, Not understanding that somebody took that suffering for us. Yeah. Okay, that was inflicted upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when God said, I'm going to, this is what I think of sin. Watch this. Mm -hmm. And my son went on that cross and held out his arms and was whipped and crown of thorns on his head and nails in in his hands and feet and a spear in his side, ridiculed. That's what I think of sin. And and a sinless man paid that for me. I don't need to pay for my own sins anymore because somebody did right. it for me. Right. But they don't. That concept has not made itself uh, well known to a lot of people at that because the Catholic Church has has, has oppressed and suppressed right that sacrifice for sins. The and, power of grace. Yeah, the power of grace. So Martin's trying to find grace by self-inflicting punishment on himself for his sins. And he can't find that peace. Nobody can. You can't mm-hmm. find peace that way because mm-hmm. there's never enough you can do that overcomes that 
to the, tip the scale. Yes. When Jesus, the last words he said was, it is finished. Mm-hmm. And when he cried that out, it is finished on the cross, it was finished. He paid the sin debt for us on the cross. Martin has not yet gotten to the point where he's understood that. So that you know, that's where he's left. He has this stay in the monastery. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was impactful. And, Very much. You know, and he learned a lot, but mm-hmm. also it left him really empty. Very empty. So you think, you know, the monastic life is supposed to be kind of the height of, you know, during this time, like these are the people that are the closest to God. These yeah. are the people that are supposed to know the most about who God is. Mm-hmm. And yet he feel, felt more distant than he, he ever had. Exactly. And then he, he takes this professorship in Wittenberg mm-hmm. and, um, and he becomes a theology professor. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about his life as an instructor and a teacher and, and how he kind of came, slowly came into prominence in that role. Well, studied for the priesthood. I mean, he was studied law initially, then, mm-hmm. then he ends up in the monastery and studies for the priesthood. He got, actually got ordained as a Roman Catholic priest. And of course, he's going to do the things that a Catholic priest is going to do um, in trying to administer the Catholicism to the people that he right. is involved in. And he gets a hold of a Bible because he wants to know what. Yeah. He's supposed um, to teach theology. Yeah. So if I'm teaching theology, I got to know what a Bible says. Yeah. Not just the dogmas, but yeah, yeah, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at the Bible itself. And once again, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. And so he starts reading the Bible. Obsessively. Yes. Which made him kind of an oddity. Mm-hmm. Um, his obsession with the Bible was, it was strange for that, that time. And the more he read, the more he became concerned about his own salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's becoming very, very personal. And I think it, from what I can tell and what I've read, it, it appears in this season as he's looking at, at the word of God, he's becoming less concerned about what the Catholic church itself says about his salvation and more concerned about what the Bible is saying about mm-hmm. his eternal destiny. Right. And there's kind of a paradigm shift, and he's realizing he has absolutely no peace and no certainty as it concerns um, the stability of, of his right. eternity. Yeah, you can't have any peace and, and stability when it's all mm-hmm. works, mm-hmm. and you don't have that salvation by grace of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Mm-hmm. But, then he, but then he gets into the book of Romans. Then he gets into the book of Romans. So tell us about and this discovery. Of course, if the Catholic Church is, is headquartered in Rome, then why don't I read the book in the Bible <laughs> that is titled Romans? Yeah. That would be an interesting thing. Uh-huh. Okay, so if this is the church, then why don't I read this book that has that title in it? Right. And he doesn't make it past the first chapter before he starts, before he lands on this verse, Romans 1, verse 17, at the end of the verse, six simple words, each one of them, one syllable, the just shall live by faith. Mm -hmm. And here he has been for years trying to get his relationship with God by works, by penance, by self-inflicting punishment to pay for his own sins, and he reads those six simple words, the just shall live by faith. And it was like, Yeah. And those six simple words, all one syllable, clear, specific, direct, 
changed Martin Luther's life and changed the world. Yeah. So once he reads that, I mean, and it's kind of a slow process. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's like someone is slowly opening the blinds, mm-hmm. right? The light doesn't hit him immediately. He's discovering what salvation is. Tell, tell us about how that, that acknowledgement of faith becomes integral to his eventual decision. Like, this is what I believe. I'm putting my faith in Christ, that salvation yes. moment. Yes. It probably wasn't a, a single decision, but a series of decisions that took a lot of, you know. Yeah, more than likely where it just over, over a period of time, but it was all fueled by that concept of, wait a minute, here I've been told all this time that I have to work for my salvation when the Bible says it comes to me by faith. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it does take a little bit of time, but at the same time, that's the key that opens the, the door yeah. um, to this um, conversion of Martin Luther and transformation of his life, transformation of the people around him. Yeah. And he begins to teach this to his people. Right. Oh, boy. Now we've got a problem. And he's one of the favorite professors. Oh, yeah. The, 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 he was beloved by yeah. his students. He had quite a few disciples. Yes. And he's sharing them, sharing with them also this concept yep. that hey, we're supposed to live by faith, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're justified not by what we do, but by our faith in the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ. And he begins teaching a series on the Book of Romans, and when you do that with a common ordinary man, and you liberate them from the bondage, yeah. and give them the liberty and the freedom and the light of the gospel of the word of God, it just yeah. it just spreads like wildfire. And so he has this massive following now in Germany. Of saved uh, young um, yeah. Catholic believers. <laughs> yeah. And they're all thinking they're, they're still Catholic right. at this point in time because they've been told for a thousand years, this is the church yeah. that Jesus founded and it's the only one. Right. So yeah. they remain Catholic. Yeah, in their mind, everything else is heresy and... It's yeah. a strange place to be. Yes. Catholic. So they're and remaining Catholic while at the same time they've got their individual faith in the Lord mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And th- th- that's what leads to what we call a Reformation because, to, to simplify it, Martin Luther tried to reform the institution of the Catholic Church. Right. And most of the Reformers did that. Right. Because they saw this and they said, well, this is the. This is the church that Jesus founded, but it's just not really running the way the Bible says it right. should be running. And I see the abuse here sometimes. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther made a trip to uh, to Rome because uh, he wanted to see the mother church, mm-hmm. and he saw some of the abuses and the lavish— Yeah, the way money was spent was the, a big the, issue. The money, the— For us, too. Yeah, the yeah. moral perversion that was taking mm-hmm. place. He saw some of that, and it was like, he's trying to square this— this is the church that Jesus founded, but it just, it, it, something isn't yeah. right here. Yeah. And to build on that, so he's got this following in Wittenberg, mm-hmm. and um, they're beginning to um, experience uh, so some great strain as it concerns another figure in town that represents the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. a man named Johann Tetzel. Who is very well known in this part of Europe for selling indulgences, which yes. we, we talked about indulgences in the last episode. Right. But Tetzel is famous because he himself, he's a salesman, he's making commission mm-hmm. uh, on selling these indulgences for the Catholic Church. Give us a, a brief recap on what an indulgence is 
and why um, this was so problematic for for Martin Luther specifically. Okay. And indulgence took on a number of different forms. It began basically by being penance that you would uh, uh, do for the church. Um, Again, I grew up Catholic, so um, it was, you would go and you would confess your sins to the priest and he would tell you to say these four or five prayers or whatever. And that Mm -hmm. was your form of penance. You're paying God back for the bad you've done. You're inflicting punishment upon yourself by going and sitting in a corner and repeating these prayers. That's, that's minor. Right. Okay. So the indulgences began something like that. They began to take on other forms. You would do pilgrimages. These were things that were levied upon you by the, by the hierarchy of the Catholic Church for you to do to pay God back for your sins. Well, it didn't take very long for that to morph into actual pay, dollars, that people would sin. They'd go to the priest. They would confess the sin. The priest would say, well, now you need to pay the church X number of dollars, and then we will absolve you from your sin. So this was after the sin was committed. You would go and confess that sin, and the church is enriching themselves as a result of that. From there, it morphs to what I called last time cash in advance, Mm -hmm. where I want to go do something bad, so I will go pay in advance for that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, this becomes a huge financial boom boom to the the Catholic Church because, like you said, this guy named Tetzel and others are running around with a whole— book full of receipts. Yeah. Yeah. You get a little golden ticket. Here, here's your, here's your ticket. You can, you can go do whatever it is you want mm-hmm. and they go do it. I've got my absolvance right. for my sin already ahead of time. And he's making, he's making, he's making he, a killing. He, he's making a killing. And speaking of killing, his, yes. his big pitch was to play on people's emotions as it concerns, concern those in purgatory. Yes. And so he had this famous, sales pitch mm-hmm. uh, that goes like this. Okay. Every time the money clinks into the chest, a soul flies out of purgatory. Right. That's the, he would go around proclaiming this mm-hmm. um, and it drove Luther insane. Exactly. Yeah. He was furious about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so tell us what happens. Mar- Martin Luther did not initially deny that um, popes and priests had the uh, ability to absolve sin, um, because again they've been told this for a thousand yeah. years, and there is um, passages of the Bible that can be lifted out of context to support that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible does not support that I have the ability to pat, to re, to absolve anybody's yeah. sins, yeah. Uh, but I can loose them from their sin by in- introducing them to Jesus right. Christ. Right. Okay, so you lift something like that out of context. If if I go share the gospel with somebody and they trust Christ as their Savior, I have absolved them from their sins. Yeah, I by didn't preaching do the it. gospel. I didn't do right. it myself personally, but I introduced them to the one who could. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, taking that t- concept out of context and and pushing the envelope on that made them get to the point where they believe that they could absolve sin. So Martin didn't uh, disagree with that initially. He thought, well, yeah, we can absolve sins, um, but just the way you guys are doing this is abusive. Right. And it, it has nothing to do with the Bible. It's not really absolving somebody from there. You're just making money off of this thing. You're doing the Robert Tilton thing. Remember 
Remember, remember Robert Tilton? No, he was no. a faith healer from a couple of generations oh, okay. ago. And he would get on the radio and television and say, send me, send me in all your prayer requests and, and, and we'll pray for you. And along with it, send me all your money as well. Right. And yeah. people, and they, they, they actually did a, a television expose on him and saw the mountains and piles of, of envelopes and checks and stuff coming in with a prayer request, they would open the envelope, take the check out and throw the prayer request away. Oh my gosh. And they, they, somebody went in under, undercover and filmed Yeah. That. Is this the same guy that, that he had like the faith healing events yes. and his wife was in his ear telling him, he, he sounded like he was speaking prophetically, but someone was miking his ear and, and filling him in on information about all the people in the audience. And, yeah. Oh, okay. I remember yeah. that guy. That, yeah, yeah. That kind of guy. Yeah. All right. So that type of concept is going on in in the Catholic Church where, yeah, I'll sell you these indulgences. I'm just writing them on pieces of paper. I don't care. You know, they don't make any difference. I'm getting rich off mm -hmm. of it. You do whatever you want. Passing out an uh, absolving of sin, he didn't yeah. really care. Didn't. Yeah. He's, he's making money off of it. Right. And Martin right. sees that abuse. And like you said, it infuriated him. Mm -hmm. And it leads him to write the 95 Thesis. Yes. Which he wants is a the debate. game changer. He wants a debate with the hierarchy of the Catholic Church to say, yes, you can absolve people from their sins. He didn't understand that fully mm -hmm. yet at this point in time. We do have the ability to do that, but you're abusing this. I mm -hmm. want to correct this. I want to reform this. Right. I want this process, this practice is uh, has gotten out of hand, and we need to pull it back to be what it's intended to be. Mm -hmm. Well, it was never intended that way, but that's what he thought yeah. at that, initially at that point in time. So he wanted a debate with the Catholic hierarchy in Wittenberg at that time. He goes to the the Catholic um, cathedral in Wittenberg and t t t post his right. 95 thesis on the door, 1517, October 31st, Halloween night. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. My name is Havel Ginther. I'm a wife and mother of two little boys. I also teach as an adjunct professor at Longview Community College. And my main ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple is the college and young adults class. So I serve as a counselor in that class and a discipler. Being an LFBI, the accountability of having uh, weekly quizzes and listening to the lectures initially uh, intimidated me and I felt like I wouldn't be able to manage that along with my other responsibilities, but I found that the accountability of it and the structure has helped me find balance in my home by having those small goals to meet every week. Um, it's a super manageable course load. I know all the big assignments in advance, and so I can start those at the beginning of the semester and work on them incrementally throughout the year. Visit lfbi.org to learn more about Living Faith Bible Institute. And now back to the show. I want to debate on these, on mm -hmm. these points. Yeah, and I, lo I love the way that history rec records this because yeah. it's like his students were kind of scurrying behind him as he marched across. You know, you hear all these descriptions. Yes. He marches across yeah. the, the courtyard and up, up the steps of the church. And, but these types of debates were common. People would yeah. often post, you know, if they wanted a debate or they wanted to, um, you know, sit down with leadership and discuss mm -hmm. an issue, they would post it on the on the church door. That sure. wasn't un, uncommon, right? But what makes this so unique 
is everything that came after it. Exactly. It, was, it absolutely um, was an incredible shift. And he invited in, I don't even think he had any idea what was coming. No. So tell us, they received the 95 thesis. What is their initial response? Initial response is no. And, we're, you know, and their initial response is you're, you've taken this way too far. You know, how yeah. dare you challenge our ability to do mm-hmm. whatever we want to do. Right. Um, it's that mindset when you get in that upper one, one yeah. tenth of 1% elite crust and you're, you become lawless, what the Catholic Church did. They, they were the law, be, so they became lawless and we do whatever it is we want to do mm-hmm. and nobody can question us because if you question us, you're questioning God. Right, right. And eventually he's referred to as the, we'll get here, but he's referred to as the wild boar. Yeah. Destroying the vineyard. Yeah. Like, like that's their perception of him. Not, not, it's not there yet, but he, so they refuse him this opportunity to debate, to mm-hmm. debate and to talk about it, but he keeps stirring the pot and stirring yeah. the pot. Yep. And after two years, uh, yep. they do agree to a debate mm-hmm. and he debates a, a man named Johan Eck. Right. Tell us about him and, and what that debate was about. He was a master of forensic debate mm-hmm. and uh, just briefly is what, what it was. I mean, there are people that are like that that are that are skilled in the ability to be able to take a concept and communicate it effectively and and ask questions and turn the thing in such a way to get back people into corners yeah and win debates yeah he was a hired gun oh yeah the catholic church yeah and yeah. he was he was very good at that and in the debate with martin luther and johann eck johann eck won the he won the battle and lost the war mm-hmm um, because he was very skilled in backing Martin Luther into a corner and making Martin Luther effectively agree with John Huss and John Wycliffe about salvation by grace through faith. Right. Yeah, which this is one of the best parts of the story because yeah. he they're in Leipzig. That's where the debate yeah. was. Mm-hmm. And they accuse him of being a Hussite. Right. And his initial response Luther's initial response to that was detest. Right. Oh, no. He's oh, anathema. No. Huss was an anathema in the church, excommunicated, heretic, burned yeah. at the stake. No, 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 no. Don't go there. Don't, don't put me in that camp. But apparently they went on break. They took a recess in uh-huh. the debate. And he went and read some of Huss's writings. And he comes back to the debate and says, yeah, you were right. I'm a Hussite. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he owns it. Like yeah. all the fear is gone. He just wants to get to the truth. And if he's a Hussite, he's a Hussite. But, but they did use that against him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Backed him into a corner. And when they backed him into a corner, he had to admit, yes, I am a Hussite. And which then takes to this level where X is, okay, then um, you, you say that the Council of Constance that, that condemned John Huss mm-hmm. and executed him and put him to death was in error. Mm-hmm. And Martin has to say, well, yes. And as soon as he says that a Catholic council is in error, then he's a heretic himself. Now now he's officially the wild boar. Exactly. Yeah. And so, again, Johann Meyer Eck, master of forensic debate to back Luther into the corner to admit 
that his positions were similar to John Huss as far as an individual conversion, individual salvation, individual personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary versus the institutional thing of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. When he does that, it kind of opens the door for, yeah. for the rest of what takes place with, with that. And again, Eck, he, he won the debate. Right. But he lost the war. Right. Yeah. It put him in a position where the Catholic Church was was in a defensive mode. Yes. So now Luther is on the rampage. Yeah. He goes back to Germany. He becomes one of the most popular figures in Germany Absolutely. at the time. People love him. They, mm-hmm. they see him. They might not even understand all of his teachings, but they see him as their own. Yes. You know, this is, he's of Germany. He's, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he's teaching salvation. People are mm-hmm. coming to Christ. People, you know, he's proclaiming faith in Christ, not faith in the Catholic church. Right. It just, it just makes the Catholic church more and more and more angry. And they issue, they issue a papal edict. Yes. A, a, a papal bull papal against bull, him. Another fatwa. Yeah. So right. For, to put it in Muslim terms, that's yeah. where a fatwa is a Muslim cleric declaring that this guy is a heretic. And if you find him, you can kill him. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he's in that position um, and they're demanding, look, recant or be excommunicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't have any problem kicking you out. You need to recant. And so what was his response to that? His rep- response was basically, you can tell me all you want and it's not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. He was summoned to come to Rome and he, he knew what had happened to John Huss. And he said, no way in the world am I coming to Rome because I know that if I come to Rome to answer these particular charges and I'm never going to see Germany again, that you'll put me to death. Um, They wanted to change the venue to Germany and to excommunicate him and to sentence him and try him and convict him in Germany. And the people and the government of Germany uh, were on Luther's side and said, no way this is going to happen. Yeah. And even if they weren't, weren't, Mm -hmm. they didn't want to be the guys Mm -hmm. involved in seeing him excommunicated. They didn't want that on, you know, the princes uh, in the territory weren't willing to have that associated with them. No, because he was very popular. Mm -hmm. He said he was incredibly popular throughout Germany because he's opening people's understanding to the basic principles of God's word. He's giving them liberty. And when you start doing that, it, it, right. it, it's just the natural consequences of that. So they won't do it. He won't do it in, in Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want it in Germany. Right. And so where does this trial, this trial over his heresy uh, take place and how does it unfold? It eventually takes place, you know, the debates and back and forth, but there, the, then we, we end up at, at what is called the Diet of Worms, right? Mm-hmm. Which I always thought was a weird... Yeah. I, yeah what you is read the, about the Diet of Worms and I'm thinking, do I have to eat worms? Is, is that, that a new a, fad? Is that a new, that, is that, is that a new thing? A low-carb yeah. uh, diet. <laughs> <of some sort. laughs> yeah. But words have more than one meaning sometimes. Mm-hmm. So the Diet of Worms, Worms is a city in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Worms. Worms. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the diet of worms is not eating worms. It's a, a convention. <laughs> right. Of, to address this issue. But, but it's a cool name because you can remember something. You'll never forget di- it. How do you forget diet right. of worms? Right. Oh, yeah, Got to eat worms. But it's a convention or an assembly or a public debate, if you want to call it that, that takes place in the city of Worms, Germany, mm-hmm. where... He is called before the 
Catholic hierarchies to recant his position. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't happen. No. And the, again, I, I love the descriptions associated because people do have a lot to say about Luther and, and there's a lot written about him. But one of the things that they say is that the trip to the to this convention, right, um, as he was being escorted from Germany through all of these villages and cities throughout Europe, it's basically a parade. Yeah. Because he comes to a small town. They, they hear that Luther is coming through their town. Uh, on their on on his way to this council, and people are applauding him and cheering him, and yes, and you, you know the other thing that's going on here is that there are people are actively burning church cannon. Mm-hmm. So the 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 Catholic Church is is declaring that people should burn Luther's books. The response to that is that that people who are following Luther are burning Catholic dogma and, and right. literature, mm-hmm. and and so there's this huge contention there's i mean it's everything is at a fever pitch right and so he's walking through these towns and he's being applauded and then you know and then he gets to the council and it doesn't go so hot right so tell us about what happens there well it's it's again the debate takes place and his position is given their position is given and it's you, you can read about it in some of the annals of church history and but it gets down to the bottom line of they're forcing him to recant his position. And he tries to explain to them in terms, no, here, because I've, I've read the Bible and here's what it says. And he, he's going into lengthy explanations of his position and they don't want to hear it. No. Um. So finally, toward the end of it, he gets to the point and says, okay, look, and I'm summarizing what he said, paraphrasing it, putting in common terms. You want a plain answer? Here it is. Uh, I am convicted by my conscience led by the scriptures to which I appeal. And the Pope is not our authority. The scriptures are authority. It's not right for any man to go against his conscience, especially when that conscience is governed by the Spirit of God and what the Word of God has to say. I do not recant. I will not recant anything because to go against my conscience is not permitted. Mm -hmm. Uh, On this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Mm -hmm. And in doing something like that at the end of it, um, when he basically just said, no, I will not recant, um, you can take your you take this job and shove it. Um, you can take your papal bulls and do whatever you want right. with them. Right. It ain't happening here. And he responds to that by, like you said, burning church cannon along uh-huh. and making a complete break with Rome at that particular yeah. point in time. So the the excommunication takes place. That's declared. Right. But there isn't yet... Um, a heretical death sentence, right? So there is an anticipation that he is going to face, he's going to face what Huss faced. Like, yeah, right. But before that sentencing comes, um, there's time. And so he heads back to Germany, but his followers out of fear of his, of his death, mm-hmm. his martyrdom, essentially, uh, they capture him. Yes. They kidnap they, him. They, they, they <laughs> yes. kidnap him. I mean, they, they, took him away. Right. Uh, they 
tell tell us about what their intention was. I mean, they change he they make him change his name for yeah. a season. Yeah. Like he goes, I forget the name that he goes by, something funny. Um, it's like the worst name. You know how it goes. It's like yeah. almost like a comedy. They gave him like the worst name, some <laughs> silly name. Uh, but he disappears for a season to focus on writing. Tell us about that season of his life. Well, he, and- he writes some, but the, uh, another main thing that he does during that time is he translates the Bible into German mm. uh, using the text of Erasmus in the new te- for the New Testament. Um, we had talked in the last episode about John Wycliffe translating the Bible into English and how it unlocked a lot of the 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 doors in England turned the lights on there as well. Mm-hmm. He had translated Jerome's Latin Vulgate, which was a corrupt Bible. Mm-hmm. That's all he had to, to right. deal with in the 1300s. Right. right. By this point in time, Martin Luther and, and, and Erasmus were, were friends. They had kind of a love-hate relationship with each other. They were good friends, but they disagreed on whether or not to stay in the Catholic Church or break from it. Martin Luther broke from it. Erasmus stayed in the Catholic Church. Um, but Erasmus had published his Greek New Testament text based upon Antioch manuscripts, not based upon the false manuscripts out of um, origin in that line. Right. Um, and Martin Luther took that particular thing, and during this exile period of time, he translated the Bible into German. It did the same thing for Germany that the King James Bible did for England, and it standardized the German language. It spoke the German language, spoke the common German language. Mm-hmm. People could understand it. Um, and again, the entrance of thy words giveth light. And that Bible, of course, printing press had been developed already by this point in time, so they could print them off on in mass publication. Yeah. And it was that exile period of time that really allowed him the opportunity to do that. I mean, translating the Bible is a pretty monumental task. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're not going to do that in an afternoon. Yeah. All right. It's going to take you years to be able to accomplish something like that. And he was able to do that. And there's no other um, publication in German history that has that unlocked the, 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 the truth of God's word any more than Martin Luther's Bible did at that particular time. Mm. And uh, and that was one of the uh, one of the main contributions he made during that particular point in time. So thank goodness for his, his kidnapping. Yes. Thank, yes, thank God for that season. Yeah, because it worked. You know, God is in charge of those kind of things. And you see all these things in history of of people being John Hust being arrested and 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 put to death, and the revolt that took place as a result of that. Uh, Wycliffe survived all those kind of things, yet at the same time was exhumed and burned, mm-hmm. who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, William Tyndale, who was arrested and executed. And mm-hmm. Martin Luther escaped all of those kind of things because, because of his position where he was, and it was just God stepping up just at that grace. point in time, yeah. putting his hand up and said, Protecting not him. just no. Yeah. You can fill in the rest of the quote yourself. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, the people, the government, um, led, of course, by God to say, no way. I mean, it's kind of similar to what you see in the book of Acts, where in Acts chapter 12, Peter, James is arrested and he's killed. Peter is arrested, but he's not killed. Yeah, he's preserved. Okay. Why was Huss arrested and killed? And Luther wasn't, because God put his hand up and said, mm-hmm. this ain't happening. Right. Okay, so th- that's why Martin Luther escaped those kind of things, yeah. um, along with a lot of other 
factors? There's there's a lot to say about the end of Luther's life. Um, you know, there was uh, the plague um, mm-hmm. was spreading throughout yeah. Germany. Mm-hmm. He devoted a lot of his life to ministering to and nursing, just nursing. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone of his position yep. at this point, he's got all of this recognition. He's beloved. He could live a peaceable life. Um, and, and yet he is, again, once again, among the common people. Yes. And he, he, everything has came true that his father wanted. Uh, his son kind of broke into the upper class. Mm-hmm. And yet he is willing to... Uh, risk all of that, throw it away, throw his reputation away to be with common people and minister in a common way. And he puts himself in harm's way time and time again, mm-hmm. even gets sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his health is is poor. The, the sacrifices that he made in that way, there's a lot to say just about that. But he's not a perfect man. No. And, um, you know, but he was an influence uh, on what we have in terms of the the authority of scripture and the way that we we now have the liberty of of worshiping, um, he had a, a huge role in that. Martin Luther is a game changer. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther is one of the most important figures in all of in all of history, not mm-hmm. just church history, but all of history of human race. Um, you know, they argue the, all the time who's the greatest of all time in all these venues of life and stuff. Um, and when you're talking about Christianity. There are some key figures in human history, obviously the Apostle Paul, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, um, Billy Sunday, mm-hmm. um, you know, people like that that yeah. you look at and you go, these are the, these are the stalwarts. You look at right. the Bible itself and you see Moses and David and Abraham and, you know, yeah. the key figures of the Bible and the, and, and the key figures of church history. Martin Luther is in that top yeah. 10, top five right. easily, even though there's a lot of what he did and what he continued to do for the rest of his life that we might not right. agree with on a, yeah. on a, on a doctrinal basis yeah. or things like that. Um, which probably will lead us into maybe our next episode of talking about how the reformation was so critical yet at the same time, it wasn't, it, it, it left it, it left it a little bit short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, a lot of things in the beginning do that, right? right? It's a refining process. Yes. And, you know, we we are Baptists. We mm-hmm. hold to a certain tra- tradition of understanding scripture. We talk about the reformers. A lot of the time they aren't, you know, they don't look just like us. Right. But what from what they're coming out of, mm-hmm. right? And the darkness that they're coming out of. Yeah. Um, they don't see men. They see men walking as trees. Yes. Like there's, it's, it's like things are still shadowy because it's a refining process. And, and, um, and obviously the, the King James in 1611 mm-hmm. is a huge, is another pivotal moment exactly. um, in terms of understanding truth and, 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 you know, the changes that would take place. But, but yeah. Yeah. Luther was, was one of the great men of all, of all mm-hmm. history without a doubt. Uh, no question about it. Um, but, um, at the same time, he because of the context of where he lived, what he had to deal with, the pivot of the world. We still have a Lutheran church today. Mm-hmm. There's an entire denomination of right. uh, of Christianity, if you want to call it that. Although we're not Lutheran, uh, 
it's 500 years later, it's gone right back into formalized, found it back into into formalized religion again. Mm -hmm. Um, But for where he stood at the time that he, that he lived and what he had to deal with at the time. And the fact that he stood up to the Pope and broke that, that hold over, over people. He's one of the key people of all time. Yet at the same time, the Reformation itself is, is weak in this regard in that the, they tried to reform the Catholic church. That's right. what reformation right. is. It's not a complete and total 100% break from the practices of Catholicism, mm-hmm. which Martin Luther continued all of his life. They kept the institution. They yes. kept Catholic dogma in right. some, some regard. They kept mm-hmm. traditions because they saw themselves as an offshoot of what they had grown up with, what they had known. Yes. It was hard to shake it completely. Yeah. Yeah. This is the church that Jesus founded. It's not but that's what they've been told for a thousand mm-hmm. years. But the church that Jesus founded is not the same as what we see in the Bible, and we need to take this church that Jesus founded and make it biblical. So we're going to maintain this structure and just clean it up. Mm-hmm. You can't maintain yeah. a corrupt structure and yeah. clean it up. Right, right. Now that, that's good to remember because yeah. we can't we can't fall into the trap of men worship. Right. You know, and and if we get to a place where like everything that Martin Luther did was perfect well right. that's that's a dangerous place to be because exactly. he is just a man and 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 some people would say well how come you're such a great fan of martin luther when you look at the lutheran church and the lutheran church right. is catholic light basically mm-hmm. um well it's because of the context of where he lived and what he stood for and how he stood up to the pope and how he broke that bondage mm-hmm. of the catholic church mm-hmm. in germany that then ultimately right Led to our relig- to religious today. freedom and ability to choose scripture over over institutions. Yes, Greg, um, this was awesome talking about Martin Luther. Is so much uh, fun. Yeah, yeah, I could talk about him all day long. Cause yeah, he's one of my favorite characters of all of history. Next time we get together, we're going to do an expose on the Anabaptists. Sounds are you, good. Are you down with that? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank awesome. you so much. All right. And I want to thank you as well. And I want to promote uh, again Greg's book, Church History. Uh, you can find this um, in the Living Faith Books section of lfbi.org or on Amazon. Uh, but this is a great resource for those of you who are wanting to learn uh, about church history and uh, about uh, a biblical interpretation of history as a whole. So you can find that uh, online. We want to also invite you to check out lfbi.org and see what our class load looks like uh, for this coming fall semester. All the new classes should be up by now, and, and you'll be able to find those there and, and consider what classes to take this fall. We want to also invite you to uh, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Subscribe, follow us. If it's YouTube, uh, if, it's, if it's Apple, if it's Google, wherever you're at, that way you can get notifications and you know when our new episodes are coming out, whether they be PS Plus or, or this show or the shorts, uh, whatever that, that content might be, you're going to get it uh, regularly and you're going to see it and know it and be able to listen to it. Please write reviews, share with your friends, and help us to promote a biblical hermeneutic uh, that compares scripture with scripture and a mission-minded uh, view of the world. And so we love you. We're grateful for you. And we'll see you again Uh, next Monday for another episode of The Postscript. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review 
in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.